I can. Anybody? Okay, Janice, you're gonna do the preamble. Who is willing to read the 12 steps? Any of the participants wanna do that? Audrey will if nobody else does. And who will read the 12 traditions? I guess I'll do it if nobody else wants to do it. Is that Connie? Yeah. I'm right. happy to do it if you need some new blood. Sure, that that'd be, be great. And, and what is your name? And if you could change. My name is, my name is Kim B. And Deb, you and I talk on the phone. Hi, Deb. Kim B. And you're going to read the seven traditions. You got it. Lovely. Thank you. Kim, could I change your name rather than call you iPhone? I can be whatever you need me to be. Okay. Huh. That's pretty dangerous. <laughs> About Marilyn, like Monroe. I don't, whatever. My name is Kim. And where are you in from today, Kim? So, so I live in Boise, Idaho, but I am in Santa Clara, California, oh. providing service to my rockin' 91-year-old mother. I just so. spoke in Santa Cruz right around you. <laughs> and my mom, has a, my mom has a condo in Capitola, but that's another story. <laughs> Great. Well, welcome, everyone. Hi, Mark. It's now 1 p.m., we're going to start the meeting. Uh, welcome to did you yeah, a February 20th OA Rise speaker meeting of Overdue's Anonymous. My name is Anne. I'm a food addict and your host for this meeting. OA Rise stands for Recovery Inspires Shared Experiences, and we are glad that you are all here. As with all OA meetings, OA Rise is run entirely by OA members who are volunteering their time to make this meeting happen. On occasion, there are glitches in online meetings that cannot be anticipated. Please bear in mind that we are doing our best. So we ask that you take any negative reactions to your sponsors. However, we would be happy to hear from you if you'd like to provide us with kind and constructive feedback. And thank you for your support. Okay, well, all who care to, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, God grant me the serenity. Grant me the serenity to accept, to accept the, things the things I cannot change. Courage, the courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom, and the wisdom to know, know the, difference. the difference. Okay, I am now going to mute you all. And uh, if you've volunteered to read someone of the kind co-hosts that you see on your screen, we'll uh, open your mic so that you can speak. Perfect. As we extend the heart and hand of the OA Fellowship to those who still suffer, let us be mindful of OA's unity with diversity policy, which respects our differences, yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting. And Janice has kindly offered to read the OA preamble. 
Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive eating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Thank you. This is a speaker meeting. Uh, at this time, all attendees are muted. This meeting is being recorded so that an a audio only recording can be posted on the oarise.org website. Should there uh, be a Q&A in this meeting, which uh, there will be at the end of each uh, section, and you have a question for the speakers, but do not want your voice to be heard on the recording, please send your question to a co-host through the chat and we will read the question for you. And um, at this point, it would also be helpful as we're going through, if you have questions that come up, to send them through the chat so that Deb can address them, get through her material, and then address it at the end of each section that she'll be leading. Here are a few tips for participating in this Zoom meeting. The chat feature is currently turned off and it will remain so until the end of the meeting. You may chat with any of the co-hosts if you need assistance. Please note that speakers are only listed as co-hosts so that they have ease of access to use the Zoom features. They will not be able to respond to questions in the chat. So if you have any questions or concerns during the meeting, please sure you, you communicate with the tech co-hosts only. Uh, you can change your name as it appears on Zoom to do this. Click on the participants tab at the bottom of your screen and a list of attendees will open up in a window pane. Select your own name, click on the tab that says more and choose rename. If you are willing, please add your geographical location after your name so that we can see where everyone is from. Out of courtesy to the other attendees and the speakers, if you get up and move around during the meeting, if you need to eat, check your phone or talk to someone who is in the room with you, please turn off your video feed so that your actions will not be distracting to others. If it is necessary, we may turn off your video feed, but we'll be happy to turn it back on when you are ready. Just send a message in chat to any co-host and they will enable your video again. Please note that specific foods may be mentioned at this meeting. We will take a five minute break at the end of the first and second hour. And finally, just a reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, could I please have Audrey read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous? Hi everyone, my name is Audrey, I'm a food addict. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 
three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you so much, Audrey. And could I please have Kim B. read the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous? Unmute. Okay, there we go. Uh, 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much, Kim. Now, uh, according to our seventh tradition, we are su supporting through our own contributions. We send all contributions in excess of our expenses directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive overeating eaters. 
Our meeting expenses are a Zoom subscription and the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so we can upload the speaker recordings for you. Contributions can be made by PayPal or to our email address, info at oarise.org. Or you can visit our website at oarise.org and click the Contribute Now button, which is easily found on the home screen. A suggested donation of $3 will allow the OA Rise speaker meetings to continue. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce our speaker for today, and that is Deb G. And she will be sharing all about internal triggers, external triggers, and all kinds of wonderful things. So I'm really looking forward to her chat and I will hand it over to her now. Thanks, Anne. Thank you, everybody who worked so hard on this uh, on this program. I know it's a lot of work goes into this, and um, this I want to have fun with you guys. I want it to be interesting. I want your participation because we're not a glum lot, and I'm talking about one of the issues that is so important to most people who have a disordered relationship with food. And that is recovery, recovery from a hopeless state of mind and body. So this idea about doing triggers is not original. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I was contacted by the North Jersey Intergroup, and they came up with the idea. And I presented it with another person from Virginia. And I thought, this is a really cool thing because the deal with addiction is we still have to live in the world. We still have to eat to nourish ourselves. We're still exposed to bakeries and smells and restaurants and holidays and parties and weddings. How do we deal with that when we have a disordered relationship with food? What do we do? So we lumped them into two categories. What are some of the internal triggers that make us want to overeat? or under eat or whatever, throw up, everything in between? And what are the external triggers that make it difficult for us to navigate life as we know it? Now, I've been in OA about 18 years, and I had a very circuitous route to my recovery. I started working the big book from the very beginning when I came in. I was not the girl who had to lose a lot of weight. I was a 25 pounder. And one of the lies I told myself was because I wasn't as big as other people in, room, in the room, I had a smaller problem. That's a, there's an internal trigger, a lie I told myself about size because I came to learn it's not my size, it's what's in my head that makes me similar to all of you. I have the same disease that you guys have. One is I have an allergy of the body, which comes from the doctor's opinion. I can't eat certain foods without it triggering the phenomenon of craving. You know what those foods are. And if you're honest, you know which ones are gonna trip your switch and you must avoid them. But the bigger problem centers in the mind and that is called the mental blank spot, the mental obsession, the peculiar mental twist. And that means that even though I know overeating or undereating is bad for me. I do it anyway. I do it with impunity. 
I don't know the true from the false. And so if I put down all my trigger foods, I'm still untreated because the mental blank spot says, go ahead and eat it anyway, it won't hurt you. And that's the whole chapter more about alcoholism in the big book where they talk about the guy put the whiskey in the milk. We talk about the jaywalker. We talk about uh, the man of 30 who after 25 years didn't pick up a drink. And then he said, I'm cured. He denied his alcoholism and he was dead in four years. So those two things are powerful indicators of a very difficult disease to treat. So what I'm gonna talk about are the things in our daily lives that make this challenging. Now, as a child, food saved my life because I had a tremendous buildup of emotion as a kid and I didn't know what to do with it except food comforted me and that's where I went. As an adult, that turned on me because it started to harm me. And it wasn't until I came into OA that I understood the nature of my problem. When I came into OA, I lost my weight in the first 90 days and I decided I'd graduated. First lie, first internal trigger, delusional thought, I've graduated. I did not get abstinence for another eight years. Eight years, I lived in a lie, delusional thinking. I'm not that bad, it won't hurt. I only gained 10 pounds back of the 20. What's the big deal? And that's how I rationalized and justified my behavior. Well, the other thing that I did, which is part of my character defect is I wanted to be successful and I wanted people to think I was successful because I wasn't uh, greatly overweight. I told, I lied and I said, I'm abstinent. Now, was I out binging? No. Was I out purging? No. Doesn't matter. Licks, bites, taste. I was lying to my sponsor about my food plan. And the lies finally came home to roost. I couldn't do it anymore. The stress and tension they mentioned in the big book became too much for me. And there was a moment when I said, I gotta, I gotta stop doing this. That was my Rubicon. That was my time where I go, what the hell are you doing? You're placing your you're placing food above your your integrity as a human being. If you can't put the food down, own it and work on that. So that's what I did, and I've been abstinent since. Now, what I want to share with you is that we're going to go through a bunch of things that trigger all of us in our daily lives. Let's face it: every day things come at us that are difficult. And I'm gonna to submit to you to look at them as little blessings, that they become opportunities for you to ask yourself, what's eating me? What's going on that I find these things internal to me or external as something I cannot manage and I have to manage it with food. We're gonna look at that. Now, once we understand what these triggers do, I'm going to have you do an exercise at the end of each section. And the exercise is, you know, one of the tools is action plan. I used to think that an action plan was I need to exercise every day. No, that may be a part of it. 
An action plan is what am I gonna do when? So before I came into program, I used to tell people this joke because I love baked goods. I'd say, if you ever find me passed out on the street, I'm gonna have a bracelet that says, take me to the nearest exhaust fan of any bakery because that's how addicted I was to smell and taste. What I'm saying to you is you can write down, when I go through these triggers, write down the ones that are really hard for you. It might be you go in a grocery store and they happen to be baking bread at that time, or you go home for the holidays and they're serving a big meal. What are the things that tend to make your abstinence difficult for you? And if you can't get abstinent, talk, look at the things that are so hard for you that prevent you from getting on the wagon. So keep that in mind as I go through the triggers because you're gonna write down, these are my big triggers and what would your action plan be to handle them? And I'll give you some examples of action plans. So when my sponsees go on vacation, we have to do an action plan because life is different. I'm going to a wedding next month in another state. I have to think about how am I going to maintain my abstinence where there's all this stuff going on around me. I work it out with my sponsor in advance. And I commit to what I said in the third step is I ask my higher power to care, care for my self-will because that is where the rub is. Left to my own devices, I'll eat the whole town empty. So a trigger is simply a stimulus that elicits a reaction. So we're going to start with internal triggers. And this is where you're going to see up close and personal the obsession of the mind, which cannot tell the true from the false. We use our insanity to justify and rationalize insane behaviors like, oh, this won't hurt. I'll start tomorrow. If nobody sees it, it doesn't count. What? Uh, I'll skip a meal and eat off schedule and it won't hurt me. My experience, if I skip a meal, I triple up at the next one, okay? I deserve it. Do I really? What do I deserve? Why is food my reward for something I did? I don't understand that. If I lose weight, I'll be happy. Did I come in wanting to lose weight? You bet. I wanted to lose weight thinking that in our culture, a thin person is a happy person. Well, if that's the case, how come after I lost weight after every single diet I was on, I wasn't happy and I gained it back? Hmm, maybe losing weight doesn't make me happy. Maybe it has something to do with what's going on up here. And that's what the steps address. Food is not the problem. It's the solution to the problem. We have to find out the problem that generates us wanting to use or restrict or throw up. And the problem, as the big book describes it, 
is a spiritual malady. We are selfish, self-centered people, and we are fearful. So when life doesn't go my way, I'll do anything to justify insane behavior because I tell myself, I got to have it. I need the ease and comfort of the food because I can't manage my weight. I can't manage a wedding. I can't manage my spouse. I can't manage what's going on at work. I can't manage anything. My kids are driving me crazy. So we turn to the food for ease and comfort. So the solution lies in why am I so tripped out? The program teaches us to deal with adversity differently. And the, the food has never worked. I think most of us can say that very, if we're honest with ourselves. So what does work? What do you replace that with? And we'll get to that. So I'm just talking about what I call irrational thinking are create internal triggers. They tell you, go ahead and put the whiskey in the milk. They tell you, well, I'll start tomorrow. I could never start tomorrow. I just wanted it now. So I said, I'll start tomorrow. Or OA can't help me. I'll never get better. I'll just, so I'll just pick up. This is never going to work for me. That's an excuse not to do anything and to stay in your disease. Fine. If a, if a sponsee says to me, it's not going to work for me. I said, well, if you don't, if you're not willing to do the work, it won't work. It doesn't happen magically. You do have to work for it. So this idea that it won't work becomes again, a justification not to get better, right? So all these lies that I've mentioned are really indicators of whether or not you have truly taken step one. Am I powerless over my ideas? Am I powerless over food? And do I see that my ideas have created unmanageability in my life? The second part of step one, the unmanageability being my self-will is in charge and therefore I do insane things. I will pick up with any excuse. Unmanageability is a reflection of my free will that is defectively being used. That's why I need a greater power to restore me, to care for my free will so I don't do stupid things. If I admit I'm powerless, I'm powerless over food, then I better honor that by not picking up those foods that trigger me. And we'll get to external in a minute. So if you've really taken step one and two, when a thought comes, I'll start tomorrow, or a little bit won't hurt, you've got to ask yourself, what's insane about that? And what can I do about it? Do I want to do something about it? Does it really matter to me whether or not I pick up. How important is it? And why is it important? And is, is it because of vanity? Or is it because 
I want to be in my life differently than I am now. Another one are feelings. Feelings are huge triggers because feelings create discomfort. And when I'm uncomfortable, my go-to is a piece of cake, a donut, a milkshake, or whatever. Because during the time that I'm eating that, I don't have to deal with the feeling. Feelings are huge. And when you've done that your entire life, gone to food to manage feelings, when your program says, well, you've got to put the food down no matter what you're feeling, you go, what? How do I do that? It's a habit. How do I break a habit? How does anyone break a habit? Commitment and the solution offered by the program. Are you willing? Are you desperate enough? Are you badly mangled enough to turn your will over to the care of a power greater than you? It's not easy. But if you let that power care for your choices so that instead of picking up a donut, you pick up the phone and you call an OA sister or brother, or you go for a walk, or you pray and say, this is the time, God, when I really need you. I'm going to pick up that donut. I need help. Maybe I should call my aunt and ask her how she's feeling today instead. Get myself out of my own thinking. So when you get triggered, keep in mind, you can't heal a sick mind with a sick mind, right? So if you're already thinking, I'm a loser, this program will never work. How am I going to talk myself out of that? I need somebody else to talk me out of that. So I call somebody and say, I'm feeling like crap today. I'm feeling sorry for myself. What do you got? Or I go to God and say, when I'm feeling like this, I'm no good to anybody. And the reason I'm here today is because of step 12. I want to be of service to all of you to give you what I've been given. And when I'm giving, I'm not in here. I'm with you guys. I'm not thinking about donuts. And it's okay. So feelings, I'm sure you've all experienced them. Should I be screen sharing? I better put this up. I think I forgot. <laughs> Hold on, guys. Uh, do you see internal triggers, folks? Oh, dear. This is yes. Okay, I'm trying to go down and it's, oh, here we go. We did irrational thoughts. We hear our feelings. So I used an example of an action plan. Let's say I'm lonely or depressed. What do I do? I give service to others on a regular basis because you know what? You're going to have days when you feel like crap. You're not going to want to give to anybody. And you'll think about going to the food because that's what we used to do. But instead of that, turn the negative into a positive. In your prayers and meditation, each day ask God to help you get out of the bondage of your loneliness, let's say created by the pandemic. And what are the ways you can enrich your life so you can be of greater service to others? Get out of your head. That's the dangerous area. Let's say guilt. I, I have my own personal example. In the last six years of my mother's life, she declined because she had dementia. 
And I felt guilty. I couldn't be there enough to take care of her. I work full time and I asked God, see, I turned to God because guilt could make me want to eat to help remove the guilt. I was ready to let God take it from me. And I asked God to show me, remove the guilt, show me what I should do or be. And I was told that in the time we spent together to demonstrate my deep love for her, to care for her as the best I could and make sure she was well taken care of. That was guilt. Another one is I'm sad or I'm grieving. I've lost a parent. I've lost a sibling. It's painful stuff. And it can make you want to eat because that it's so painful. You just feel like I can't stand another minute of this. That's life, folks. Life is not easy. The universe is a happening place. And I don't care how much recovery anybody has, there are times that are really unbearable. Tragedy everywhere. This program teaches me how to handle these things without eating over it. One of the ways is to have a connection with a power that gives me comfort, peace, love, compassion, reliability. If your higher power doesn't do that, it's not going to work. There's got to be a place you can go where you feel a kind of energy and a light that holds you in a way that nothing else can. That's the solution to this program, to, to, to our disease of compulsive eating or disordered eating. It's spiritual. And what is it about spirituality? <clears throat> in alcohol, they call alcohol spirits for a reason. It creates a false sense of spirit that they don't get otherwise. So the person who's an introvert, who's uncomfortable in every situation, can have a few drinks and then be the life of the party. That's what food does. Sometimes it makes you spirited <clears throat> or it makes you more reclusive. But the idea is you're trying to fill something inside yourself to give you peace, love, calm that you can't get from food, alcohol, drugs, spending, gambling. You have to find this energy that exists in every human being. I call it higher consciousness, God consciousness. You can call it Christ consciousness, where it's a kind of energy that lifts you out of your smallness. It is lifts you out of the part of you that I call the shadow. We all have the shadow and we all have light. God is light. God consciousness is light. So the shadow presents our disease, our feelings, our behaviors, our loneliness, right? And we use it as a window to say, oh, I'm suffering right now. What do I need to do? What's my plan? Some days are just blue days. I call them spiritual blackout days. We all have them. It's not the end of the world. But you ask God to comfort you and care for you because life is challenging, recovered or not. Every day we have to treat the malady so we can exist in this crazy, crazy ass world. And it's getting crazier by the minute. So these are feelings, life events. These are huge. 
How many of you have broken your abstinence when there's been a loss of a job, a pandemic, moving, parenting issues, chronic pain? Wow, those are huge. What actions can you take to navigate these events without breaking your abstinence? That should be the word without, by the way, not breaking your abstinence is a typo there. So if any of these jump out at you, you think, well, what could I do instead? I want to eat over it, clearly, but my recovery is more important. What can I do so I don't pick up? You have to be willing to break the habit every time this happens. You have to be willing to flex your spiritual muscles instead of your disease muscles and call upon the fellowship and call upon your higher power for strength to do it. And over time, you ask the people who've been in recovery a long time, you will develop a neutrality to the food and you will develop a spiritual relationship with power that allows you to navigate life and not fall apart. Sometimes falling apart's a good thing, but you get put back together. Let me see what time it is, I have to keep going. Here I use the example of a job loss. That's an, a life event. Create an action plan to clarify the job you want. Do the footwork for a job search, God can't do that for you. Network and pray that God shows you the best job for you now. Build prayer into your daily routine and ask God for the wisdom and strength to find the best situation. You gotta move your feet and you need to rely on a greater power, right? And maybe the job loss is really a door that's opening to a greater opportunity. That happens a lot. And is there something you can learn about this job loss that you didn't know before that might open up your whole world? So it's like a partnership of co-working with your higher power and the fellowship, right? And doing the footsteps to change your situation. Sometimes we have to go to other resources to learn how to parent better or how to manage chronic pain. Or you get outside help and you go to a therapist because there's certain issues stemming from childhood that seem to be untreatable by recovery in program. A lot of people get outside help for sexual abuse, domestic violence, rape, you know, living with a narcissist, you name it. We've all been there. There's nothing wrong with that. That's part of your action plan. Maybe I need to get some help. Okay, for me, a trigger for me was lying. I was not living in integrity and I knew it. My ambition was to be a successful OA recovered girl and I lied to get there. That triggered me. It made me want to eat because I knew I was schizoid. I had integrity over here and I had dishonesty over here. It made me crazy. You know, but I'm a slow learner. It took me eight years to get off on that. I, I did make an amends for stealing in a store and I stopped doing that, but I didn't stop lying about my food. Interesting. 
So it helped me understand just how important food was to me and control, having control over the food. For what reason? I'm going to fall apart without it. Well, what is falling apart? Have I had a spiritual awakening? Have I had a psychic change enough to say, you don't need the food with this problem right now. You think you do. Try something different today, all right? Because this program promises if you try the spiritual solution and you work these steps as they're written, you're going to let that need to overeat go. You're going to let the need to purge. You're going to let it go. How, how much time? Five. Woohoo. Okay. So if you look at these behaviors, another one is gossiping. That violates a tradition because anonymity is a spiritual principle. I've had to learn to stop gossiping. And I knew it was because I was taking people's inventory. So I felt better than them. Well, in a spiritual program, it's not about better. It's I'm, I'm on the same playing field as you are. I don't need to talk about you. I need to work on my own side of the street. A lot of people, it's perfectionism. It's people pleasing. These are things that make us crazy because we're being dishonest with ourselves and with others. We tell them, yeah, sure, that's fine. I'll do that for you. And we're exhausted at the end of the day and wonder why. Because we feel emotionally dependent on other people to be okay with ourselves. And emotional sobriety is like a new frontier in recovery, which is about not being dependent on others, people, places, and things for my inner happiness. I depend on spirit for my inner happiness. Do I like being in a healthy relationship? Yes, but I have to work at that myself. So the behaviors are a reflection of what they call the character defects in the big book. Step four ought to show you where you're being selfish and self-centered and inconsiderate and resentful. You're not getting what you want, right? People are not stepping up for you the way you want them to. Well, that's a setup for disaster because people can't. You'll never get exactly what you want. You can't demand that of the world. And yet we do. And we wonder why we're unhappy and why we overeat or eat too much. It's because we're just saying, gimme, 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 gimme. Give me that cake. That's the spiritual malady. We have to learn to do what St. Francis said. It is in giving that we receive. It is in understanding, right? That we, we get understood. We believe it is in the death of this ego that we are reborn. We have to question all of this and say, why am I doing this? What do I get from this, right? Am I willing, am I ready, step six and seven, to let this stuff go? so that I can have a more serene, peaceful life where my purpose is about helping others, my family, my children, my job, and work for spirit instead of for me. This is my primary purpose now is to help other compulsive eaters. That's my job. And I get more from that than anything. So we, I'm, I know I'm racing through this. So, here are some actions you can take to work with internal triggers. What I want you to do, since it's already a quarter of two, is note 
I'm going to stop screen sharing. I want you to know any of the triggers that were in those sheets that really speak to you and take some time to write on them. Like just what do you think you could do when you get triggered by fear? When you get triggered by a job demotion or loss or a pandemic that says you got to stay at home much more than you ever had or the state of the world or the thoughts like a little bit won't hurt because I really need this right now. I'm feeling really wonky. And take about 10 minutes or 15 minutes to jot those down. And then we'll do a little Q&A, a little bit of group discussion about it. And if there's something that you want to ask me a question about, you can ask it. And then we'll go into external triggers, which are a little easier to work with if you're willing, because if there's too much food at, at Thanksgiving, well, you don't have to go or you can bring your own food. We'll talk about that. But everything requires an action plan, folks. If you're caught off guard, you may end up in the food unless you're truly committed to your abstinence. And that's what this is about. How do I truly commit to my abstinence given that every day my disease is confronted with internal and external triggers every single day? So that's what life is. So how do you navigate life without, you know, burying yourself in food or in the restriction or in bulimia? You know, I want to speak to everybody who has a disordered relationship with food, okay? So before you do this, um, do you have any questions you want to ask me? Just... I just want you to write down what are some of your internal triggers and what might you do to handle that. Think of the tools. Think of what you've done in the past that's helped you. Are you even willing to do anything? Would you prefer to eat over it? Maybe you, you would, but you're not at your bottom yet. Does anybody have a question they want to ask me before you jot this down? I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Kim B has her hand raised, but she needs to be unmuted. Okay. Uh, you're still muted, Kim. Okay, okay, now there you're we on. go. Okay, good. Go there ahead. we go. Okay, love it. It's a God thing. You said the word and, and here's my question. And I don't know if this works with what you're talking about, Deb, but I want to talk about, I want to hear about bottom. I want to hear about bottom. My entire life, I, I accommodate, I accommodate, I accommodate, I accommodate. So my question is, did I hit my freaking bottom 20 years ago and, and I didn't recognize it? Um, my joke for myself is, Oh yeah, I hit bottom and I signed the lease and I put up curtains and I have, I have accommodated my bottom and I live there. So, so or, or the fact that I don't know if I've hit my bottom means I haven't hit it. Okay. So, so let's, 
uh, let's keep the recording going because this is good stuff. Let's be specific about what we mean by a bottom. When somebody hits their bottom, that means they've been so badly mangled by this disease that there's a form of desperation that leads them to want to recover. They go, mm. I've had it. Mm. I haven't sort of had it. I've had it. Everybody's bottom is different. Some people have to eat. Like I have sponsors, but I can't get out. And I can't. I said, maybe you need to go out and do some more uncontrolled eating. I hate to say it, but you're not there yet because this is work. It's hard work. You have to be badly mangled. They talk about it in the big book, right? They talk about alcohol being the great persuader and that it beats people into a state of reasonableness, overeating, obesity, health problems, the torture of it all, broken relationships beat me into a state of re reasonableness, desperation. I can't do this anymore. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what else there is. Then they mention, which isn't food related, the bedevilments. Selfish, self-seeking. I am of use to nobody. I can't keep a job. I have trouble with relationships. I'm full of self-pity and fear. Faced with destruction over overeating yields a kind of open-mindedness. That's what we're talking about is a bottom. And you say to yourself, wouldn't anything be better than where I am now? If you can't say that, you may not be done yet. The am I still unmuted? Yes. Okay. I'm shaking my head. I'm nodding my head. I'm I'm look, I I've I, I feel as though at some level I've had all those feelings, but but Okay, 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 whatever. I am a highly functioning addict. I am. I, I, I am successfully retired. I, I, I have enough money. I have a relationship. I, so, so I don't know where to go with it. I'm also 150 frickin' pounds overweight and on seven medications. And and I and I chug along. So what are you telling me? Are you content where you are? No, but I'm also telling you, you're not I've ready. Had, I uh, shit. But yeah. But, but what do I have to do to be ready? Do I have to have a heart attack? Do I have Maybe. to have a stroke? Maybe. You got to put the uh, food down. What's stopping you from putting it down? You need a relationship with power and you need to be willing to do this. And these triggers I'm talking about are swirling around you, keeping you in the food. You know, it all depends on how you want to define success, man. Is success because you're happily retired and you're doing well? Is success being in the food all the time and 150 pounds overweight? What's your definition of success? To me, we are captives. We're imprisoned. Absolutely. So there's oh, a way yeah. out, but you have to want it. It can't come to you. You have to go to it. We drew close to him and he revealed himself to us. 
forget the pronouns. We drew close to spirit and spirit revealed itself to us. That's where desperation is so pivotal. It says in the big book, it's a tedious process because of our own prejudices, our own ideas about how to do this, right? But our ideas don't work. So it's a very personal thing. And by the way, guys, I'd be happy to talk to you about which triggers really speak to you and tell me what you think would be an action plan. We can do this for a good 20 minutes or so. Let's be interactive. Let's talk to each other. Let's have fun with this thing. Let's just blow the lid off. Are you letting us comment now? Yeah. Okay, my name is Nancy Beecham. I'm a compulsive overeater from Los Angeles. I've been abstaining, not visiting. I have been in the airplane abstaining for 45 years, maintaining a 150-pound weight loss. And when I had 10 or 18 years of abstinence, I had one thought. They're very different now. I believe, first of all, there's a thing that the old timers call step zero. And it has a lot to do with the doctor's opinion in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes. This shit has got to stop. And, you know, having willingness is nothing without clarity. And you get the clarity by what Deb has been saying. You get a food plan from a nutritionist or a doctor, you get a sponsor and they do, you do what they tell you to do. And until you're willing to get discipline, until you're willing to do what somebody else tells you and the fact that you're smart and bright. I had a woman actually send me a list of all her degrees. Well, what good is that? She's the one that's three, over 300 pounds. I walk outside with dignity. You know, every day I take an hour to just look at, listen to the birds sing and, and hear the flowers. That's recovery to me. Recovery is about playing with Play-Doh and flying a kite, reading to kindergartners. And you know, when you abstain, you can get through anything. That's one thing I, that I, I want to impress upon you, that when you abstain, it didn't matter when I had a mastectomy. It didn't matter when I lost my mom and I was brand new in the program. It didn't matter on, on my birthday that my kids didn't call me. It didn't matter because I upstairs, no person big enough or small enough to make me take that first. And what allowed you to abstain, Nancy? The fact that the big book says to me, I only have three choices. I will go to jail and I actually did that. I ran around with horrible people because I was so lonely that I will be in prison, which like you said, we all are in our own houses. And the fact that I will absolutely go to jail, be hospitalized, or I will die. And I got that I was slowly dying. And here I am. Here okay, I am. but what restored you? You defined the problem, you were ready, but how did you get to the other side of the road? Doing, stepping in the stones that were laid out before me that people went before and being willing to do what they did. And they said to me three things. Are you willing to put down the food? Are you willing to take direction? And are you willing to go to any length? And until you can answer yes, and they didn't let me go on and on with all my excuses. There are no ands, ifs, and buts. I was just ready to go. And if they told me, when they told me to quit my job and get one nine to five, and I had two small kids to take care of, or get rid of that guy who was beating me on a daily basis, I was terrified, but I held the hands, one hand in a newcomer and one hand in an old timer. And together we walked me through. 
and life just goes on. And now here we are, 45 later. For crummy sakes, look at me when I walked in this place, you know? Yeah. Uh, thank it's, you uh, for your share, Nancy. That's uh, wonderful, Nancy. Thank you for sharing. And uh, I think we're going to take our break now. So we will stop the recording and um, take a five minute break, and then we'll come back and Deb. Were you kind enough to post the thing I sent you about our, uh, about our sponsor? Thank you, Theodore. Upon, uh, before we resume the meeting, we would like to take a brief moment to observe the seventh tradition and pass the virtual seventh tradition basket. According to our seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. Our OA Rise meeting expenses, our Zoom meeting subscription, and the cost of the OA Rise website which includes the cost of extra storage so that we can upload the OA Rise speaker readings recordings for you. Contributions in excess of our meeting expenses will go directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive overeaters and a suggested donation of $3 will allow this meeting to continue. Contributions can be made via PayPal to our email address info at oarise.org, or they can be made directly on our website. Actually, our link isn't working uh, right this second, but we'll be getting that fixed shortly. To do this, uh, okay, both of these options we'll put into the chat. And um, uh, so it is in the chat. All right. Um, we're going to pass the virtual seventh tradition basket. So if you have a chance, please donate and, uh, and, uh, uh, we'll give you a bit of a moment now to, to, uh, give us a, uh, a seventh tradition. And also note, we have reposted the information about uh, the Roseanne um, tape and at the speaker old timers meeting tonight, as well as Deb has kindly shared her contact information in the chat. If you'd like to follow up with her, um, there's also 12 steps in four hours meeting. Oh, okay, that was directly to me. Um, okay, I will share that. And I'm going to be muting you all again in case you're not muted. And we will, oh, Deb has also shared her email address. Okay, Deb. Okay. Deb, please unmute. There we go. Oh, would anybody like to uh, share a trigger that they came up with that they have an action plan for or need help with? Yeah, my name's Theodora and I have, um, I have a multi-trigger situation, like multi-trigger. Can I share? Can I ask? 
Okay, this is, has been the hardest thing because there's multi layers to this. Basically, what do you do? I have a situation where I go to a different country to visit my family and they cook up a storm because also my culture is Greek. So like food is like a huge thing, right? It's like everything basically. So I'm dealing with the trigger of I'm traveling to a different country. I'm dealing with a trigger that I'm going to visit family that I haven't seen for a long time and I want them to love me and, you know, which they do, you know, kind of. And I'm drinking with a trigger that they, like, I'm going to feel guilty because I know if I refuse the food that they want to serve me, they're going to, they're going to be very offended. So I'm going to feel guilty because now, you know, I've created the situation where they're feeling bad, you know? So, and plus the food really smells delicious and it's fantastic food. And it's, and it's like something, it, it's like something that reminds me of my childhood and being taken care of and all sorts of things, you know, like that. Um, Are you and abstinent, family, Theodore? Am I abstinent? Yes. 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 Okay. So the question becomes how committed you are to your abstinence, because what I'm hearing is one is you're a people pleaser. You're afraid to say to them, I'm on a special food plan. I love your cooking. I love you guys, but I can't eat the way I used to as much as I would like to, because I have this issue with food. So you could be open and honest. And you have to have an action plan of what you're going to say and how willing you are to say it. And then you can plan when you know what they're going to cook, what in that can you eat and what must you prepare? It's all about willingness. We have to plan ahead because we have a different relationship with food than other people do. Or you want to do something about it, but they may not. And you have to reiterate that you appreciate them very much and you love them, but that your food has to be handled differently. You can say, I have certain allergies that I realize I can't eat certain foods, but it really boils down to preparation. What lengths are you willing to go when you travel? Travel is challenging. I would submit to you a big trigger is when you come back. If you're abstinent on your trip and then you come home, you go, oh, oh my God, that was hard. That's a trigger. That right there can be a trigger, which is when you really have to have your guard. So if you have a sponsor, what you do is use WhatsApp or you text or email and book in the meals. Make a commitment, mom, what are you making today? Or whoever's cooking. And then say, okay, I'm committing to eating this, this, and this. And then honor it. And if your mother or family member gives you a hard time, pull them aside privately and explain to them that this is really hard for you, that you want to be healthy, you want to live a good life, and it's not about the food. Yes, it does bring ease and comfort. I was raised with a very good, <laughs> a mother who cooked really well. And I did associate food with comfort and being loved until it bit me on the ass. 
So it's really about what you're willing to do. Create that action plan, commit it to your sponsor. And if you have to do outreach calls to people or text or use WhatsApp, that's what you do. It doesn't stop when you get on that plane. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Now you were talking about some external triggers and I haven't gotten to those yet. But the, one, the, the externals are like smells, sights, holidays, celebrations, um, foods, uh, restaurants, and people. People. You're talking about people. Well, it won't hurt. You have a little bit. It's no big deal. What's the matter with you? Come on. What are you, sick or something? And pressure, pressure, pressure. See, I'm trying to live my life a little differently. I'm not making food the center of my world. I'm just trying to use it as nourishment. I love you guys. Now stop. <laughs> you know, whatever, you know them better than I do. You have to come up with magic words. Or talk to them privately from your heart. You may, you know, from a heart place that you really want to maintain your health and you're trying to break a really, really bad habit because it's a disease. They may not know, understand that. Yeah, no. no. Right, they, they won't understand that. What, what disease? What are you kidding me? You say, no, I just can't eat certain things. It makes me feel sick inside. Never used to make you sick when I made you spanakopita and I made you baklava, you didn't get sick then. What's wrong with you? What happened? You allergic to pistachios? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, would anyone else like to share or have a question? If not, I can move on to the external triggers. So let's talk about those. Okay, so you go into your favorite supermarket and you smell certain things. Oh, it takes you over to the bakery. You're around people who are eating foods that you don't eat and you smell. Smell's a big part of it. Um, things you see, you smell or notice can trigger you. It's a stimulus because we love food. Restaurants. Certain restaurants are more of a trigger than others. For example, a buffet, an all-you-can-eat kind of restaurant where there's no limit to the portions. You can go back as many times as you like. Hot bars, fast food, food courts, custom plates where you can pick and choose what you want. Just advertisements on TV during the Super Bowl, during any program, food, 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 food. And they make it like sex. It's like pornography. How can you sit there and watch a program and not want to run in the kitchen? They're all triggers, right? People can be triggers. Children say, mommy, mommy, get me ice cream. I want a cookie. You know? And siblings who can eat normally, but you can't. They said, come on, let's go out for ice cream. Come on, it's Christmas. Pressure, right? Colleagues at work. How many of you are nurses and you have a break room that's obscene? The table is filled 
with donuts and cakes and things from pharmaceutical reps. You can hardly breathe. It's a food frenzy. And it's a food frenzy everywhere because not only are we spiritually sick, but I think our culture is. And people use materialism and food and debating as a drug. But we're different because we don't know when to stop. We're unlike them. We have to be different. We have to put a wall around ourselves. No one's going to do it for us. No one's going to do it. Activities, right? Certain activities are triggers. If you smoke pot, you're going to want to eat, right? If you take certain drugs like steroids, it could stimulate your appetite. If you go to a pick your own orchard, apples, peaches, berries, you can come out of there and turn red from all the strawberries you eat before you get to your car. Cooking shows. How many of you watch cooking shows? Oh my God, or the worst one is that diners, drive-ins and dives. I watch what those people prepare and I think everyone loves it, but the amount of sugar, salt, fat in that stuff is like an artery slammer. I don't know how people can eat that stuff. I used to. So what am I saying, right? Funerals, weddings, memorial services, right? It's all there. When a child doesn't finish what's on their plate, who wants to eat it? Me, right? If you get a holiday gift basket with things in it you can't have, that's a trigger. Any holiday, whether it's religious or it's a secular holiday like St. Patty's Day is an excuse to roll out the carpet and go crazy, right? Roll out the fork and knife. Picnics, Easter egg hunts, Company parties at Christmas. Oh my God, the food they serve. What's your plan for that? And travel is a huge trigger. She mentioned, you know, traveling home to her folks in Greece. Airports, you're constantly barraged with fast food. You're waiting for a flight. What do you do in between? You're stressed about your flight. You're stressed about leaving. You wonder if you left anything at home. Camping, you will have the food that you need to eat those days. Have you really planned ahead when you travel? Do you, have you thought about what you're gonna do when? I think vacations, work trips, all that. I had, I, I'm from the East Coast and I was a, a trainer, it was part of my work, and I, I had to go to Philadelphia three days out of the week. And I stayed in a Homewood suite so that I had a kitchen so that I can make my breakfast and if I needed to make my dinner. And fortunately, the office building we were in where we were training had a restaurant downstairs with a salad bar. Saving, saving grace. All I did was get a salad and a protein every day, I was fine, right? but I planned ahead. I'm going to New Orleans for a wedding. I already know what's available in the hotel. I know what the restaurants are in the area. I've looked at their menus. And there's a place that has carry out salads, which I can take back. 
you know, it's a big commitment and it's a discipline. It's like, how badly do you want this thing? And here's the biggest lie. I say, well, let's say I slip up on the trip. I'll start when I get back. Maybe, maybe not. Because our disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal. The progressive part. I'll start when I get back. I said, maybe, maybe you won't get back for a year. Maybe you'll never get back. Maybe you'll be lucky enough to get back. I was lucky, I got back, but not everyone has that luck. They say, I've been out for six years. I never, or I never came back because the disease builds to the point that you just can't get back. You just can't. It's scary stuff. And my sponsor- yeah, Did you mean me, to share your screen? Share my screen? Were you wanting to share your screen? Not at the moment. Oh, okay. I just wanted to check. Um, I forgot my train of thought. So um, not being able to get back into abstinence. My sponsor told me that when you go out and you relapse, it means that what you were doing wasn't enough to keep you abstinent. So when you come back, you have to do more, right? Because what you were doing wasn't working. More work, more commitment, more meetings, more phone calls, right? Giving service, reading the literature, all of that. It's a big, this disease, think of it as like a grizzly bear is at your door. And all you have in the house is a pea shooter. So what stands between you and the grizzly bear is a thing called power, a higher power. Now, if you don't get that power, it's going to break down your door and it's going to kill you. That's one way to look at it. The only thing between me and my disease is a power greater than me that can restore me. That's why my most primary purpose is a sponsor is to get them having that relationship with power. Because I won't be able to stay abstinent without it. I absolutely have no willpower when it comes to that. I'm powerless over food. So I need a power to restore me so I don't pick up. That's the focus, is getting the power. How do they get the power? They gotta work the steps and put down the food. Can you, can you put down the food? Can you work the steps when you're in the food? A lot of people do. But you have to understand that when you're working the steps and you're in the food, you're straddling two worlds. On the one hand, you say in step one, I'm powerless. And on the other hand, you're in the food. So you're saying, I'm really not powerless, but I want I want to learn this stuff because it's interesting. It's like you're complying with what you're reading, but you haven't surrendered. And I, what I understand is that recovery involves a surrender. And I think we talked about this earlier. The surrender comes from the hopelessness, the hopeless state that you're in, that you're so badly mangled, you can't stand another minute. 
lots and lots of people in OA, including myself, did half measures. They do half measures. It's just too hard to give up the food. And other people finally get to the point where they go, enough, enough. I'm sick and tired and I can't do this myself. Everybody's bottom is different. And somebody told me there's a trap door in every bottom, by the way. <laughs> you think you've hit your bottom, you come back in, then you go out again, the bottom's even low. This is a nasty, wicked disease, folks. I'm telling you about the triggers out there. We confront them every day. An alcoholic doesn't have to go into a bar, doesn't have to keep whiskey in his or her house or booze. We have to eat. Everyone has to eat to maintain life. So every day is a day when you have to make a decision. Am I going to do my food plan or do I have other ideas? So again, if you have certain triggers, like she said, she's going on a tr trip. So she writes down everything that she's worried that's going to happen. And how does she meet each one? Talking to the family members, talking to her sponsor, bookending a meal, finding out where she can get healthy food near the house in case she needs to cook something. I haven't stayed in a motel or hotel for five days in years. I usually have a place where the hotel has like a kitchenette or something. And I'm a little scared, but that's a healthy fear because I'll make sure I get what I need. I don't want to lose what I have. Because you know what that means in the end? I have nothing to give away and there's no one I can help. And in my disease, I will become selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed and no help to anyone which is not what God wants me to do. The spirit in me wants me to be of service, to help other people who are struggling with the exact same disease that I have. I used to be mad about it, but I wouldn't be here today doing this workshop if I didn't have it. And I wouldn't be able to help anyone in my life. I'd be a very different person. So I'm grateful for the world that's opened up to me. You know, you can be abstinent and still be untreated. You have to get at the underlying causes and conditions. And the way to do that is to vigorously work the steps and find a sponsor who will work them with you, who knows the big book, because that's where the roadmap is. It's the map to the treasure. There's promises in every single step. And there's a fellowship out here that is so vibrant and so alive with experience, strength, and hope. So, you know, we go till four o'clock. I could talk, I could talk and talk and talk and talk. But I want to hear from you. I want you to be able to ask me questions or ask me, you know, I'm struggling with an action plan or whatever is on your heart. Yes, Mark. And then we'll do Joylene. 
Hi, I'm Mark. I'm a compulsive here. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I have a problem. I, I've been programmed since 2008, and I've gotten abs. I got struck absent, not right away, but it took me some time. Um, and um, at the beginning of it, though. I gradually worked my way up and then I had a big fall. And ever since that fall, I've been keeping falling lower and lower and lower. And to the point where it's like, I can't, it's hard to get even a couple of days of abstinence. And um, I live with my parents. I, I, have, I have separation anxiety, I think. My parents are getting older. And um, I have a fear of leaving the house by myself. I want to be with my parents in their car. And in the car, they argue a lot. <laughs> and that's a trigger for me. Uh, that, that makes me want to eat. As well as also, um, fear is a big, big aspect of why I eat, why I pick up. And, I, and I, sometimes I think to myself, what the disease tells me, you know, it's okay, you can do it just this time. You can always start tomorrow again, you know, start over. And that's one of my main triggers. So I, I would be grateful if you could help me with that. Well, you've mentioned a lot of things, Mark. Thank you for asking that question. I think a lot of us struggle with what you're struggling with. Yeah. Everybody's going to have triggers every day. It's part of being in the world and needing food to nourish our bodies. It's when it goes haywire. So one of the things you said is that conflict between your parents triggers you and it makes you wanna eat. You mentioned separation anxiety, that that's an issue for you and that they're aging and that's stressful. I can tell you, I could give you a thousand reasons why I used to overeat. And I'm sure you have a thousand too. The question becomes, what am I willing to do about it? Some of the issues you mentioned may be appropriate for therapy. I don't know, just a possibility. The other thing is, if you're really suffering from this, are you willing to find a sponsor? Maybe you have one, go through the big book. Because if you think about it, here's the big book deal. It was written by a hundred people who were recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body from alcoholism. Bill Wilson primarily wrote the book, but they, he, they fed him with their experience of how- It's 2.30. We're, we're just gonna keep going. Okay. We're just keep going. Uh, of their experience, strength and hope around how they put down the alcohol. And the book is about the roadmap that they use to get there. And basically, you have to say to your innermost self, am I, do I really get that I'm powerless over food and I can't manage my own life? If you say yes to that, are you willing to believe there's a power greater than you that can restore you at step two? And are you willing to let this power restore you, right? Right. And then if you are willing, you do steps four through nine. 
four through nine is to clear out that which blocks you from the power. All of your resentments, your fears, like you talked about, uh, any lies you tell yourself, you clean all that out so that, that this power can come into you. So do you have a sponsor right now? I do. Is your sponsor taking you through the big book? Yeah. Uh, well, I actually, I came very close to leaving away recently. Okay. So I'm trying. I'm trying to hook up with the sponsor that I had before I let, I wanted to leave. Like mm -hmm. I'm in, I'm not, I gave her a call today. So she, she lives. You know, I mean, this is interesting because people leave OA for a variety of reasons. They either don't feel like, I mean, there's so many reasons, but some people feel defeated that yeah. they don't know how they could possibly be successful in this program. Right. And I think that right there, that they feel defeated, is a trigger. That the story we tell ourselves is that we can't do it. Right. Now, that That's story doesn't come from your higher power. That comes from you. It was written a long time ago. It's the story that says, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't get this done. I don't deserve it. I'm a big fat slob. No one's going to love me, blah, blah, and on and on, on. And you believe that. And pretty soon you say, why do anything? I give up. I might as well eat. Right? Well, that story I will submit to you, Mark, is an out and out lie. It's one that you created based on what you learned as a child and everything going on around you. I say rewrite the story. Bill Wilson was close to death in his alcoholism. And he said, well, he said, choose your own, Ebby uh, Thatcher said, choose your own conception of God. And he said, who am I not to believe that there's some power that can restore me? Where's that coming from? It's coming from the same place, the same story that says, I can't win at this. Well, right. you're right. You can't win at it. But that is where the door opens. How can I, quote, win at this? The big book says there's an answer. There's a solution. Forget the story and just work the solution. Are you willing to believe there's a power that can restore you? Are you even open-minded enough to entertain the idea that there might be something in this universe, a power, an energy, a force that could come into you and say, Mark, I gotcha. Forget those stories. Forget about failing. Work with me. Stay close to me. Do what the big book says. Just do the steps as if you're, you're on fire. Work them. Look at yourself. Look at your fears lovingly. Let them be a teacher. It's like an opportunity. God saying, Mark, I think you're ready. Come on, let's go. Let's go. You know, say if they say, why, why not? Why not now? Who's stopping me? I am. I'm stopping me with my old ideas. So what a spiritual awakening is, we don't even know that we're asleep. We can't see that we don't see. When we awaken, when we wake up, we go, wow, 
these stories are killing me. These negative stories that I can't do this and I'm not good enough and that's bad and oh my God. God, give me a new story. I'm a beautiful soul. I am your creation. Help me overcome the bondage of self. Why? So that I can give what you're giving me to somebody else. Someday, Mark, you'll be a sponsor. And you could say, I was just like you, man. I was trapped in my own disease. But I put my stories aside and I said, I'm ready to write a new story, a story of success that says, no matter what, I will submit to this power. I will do what I'm told. I'll get a food plan that has plenty of food in it. I won't die. And I'll struggle and rise from my own emotions, but I'll get help for them. My sponsor, the fellowship, meetings, podcasts, God. You have this whole, talk about a cafeteria of choices, <laughs> spiritual choices. Call me anytime, Mark. And, you know, like I'm trying to pump you up because somebody pumped me up. And it works. It really works. It's just you have to get rid of that negativity. And, uh, that's a trigger. And it's the worst kind of trigger because it freezes us. We get paralyzed, like, I can't. Well, it's true. You're step one, you're powerless. Forget about trying. Let this power work it for you. Just dream of it. When you go to bed at night, say, where are you? Come to me, I need you. I need your help. I don't wanna get stuck in this anymore. And I don't know how to climb out, help me. And ask your sponsor for help and call people in program. And you'll get so much love and support, man. You will. That's what we're all here for. So this is beautiful. Here, Mark's giving an example of a trigger that's keeping him feeling a wee bit hopeless to the point that he almost decided to leap. And I'm saying, don't let that hopelessness be a block. Make it a window, a door to open. When you open the door of hopelessness, say, am I willing to have an open mind that there's hope for me? There is. Cast aside the negativity. Reach inside for the God consciousness in you. That's going to lift you up, man. Up, up, up. <laughs> we'll all be your cheerleaders, Mark. Call me anytime. Is your number in the chat? Yes, I put my um, email and my phone number in the chat. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. How about was, to, uh, I have Joylene. Hi, hi Deb, how are you? Um, gosh, I love how you said, God, give me a new story. Um, my question is kind of like more of a statement, if that's okay, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, so I've been in program a year, um, and I'm just trying to learn progress, not perfection. When you were talking about being our own worst critic and beating ourselves up and the net and the negativity and the distorted thinking, I mean, um, and I have help outside the program, uh, as well, but I guess, um, the thing that I'm struggling with the most right now is, I mean, I, I think I found what my con the God of my understanding, um, but I don't always make the connections and I am new to program. So maybe 
I just need to be more patient. Um, and I, I have come to the point that I know I'm powerless over food, especially sugar. So like I said, this is more of like a statement. I'm just trying to learn as I, as I go along and grab whatever I can. Um, and oh, also I thought I was gonna leave um, because I didn't think I was doing well enough in program or um, you know, if I'd have a slip or break abstinence or stray from my food plan, like, oh, I, I failed you know, blah, blah, this, all this negative bullshit stuff that goes on in our, our brain. So I don't want to leave, but I'm okay. So in a nutshell, how do you, you know, with all your experience, strength and hope, how do you not, how did you learn to not beat yourself up over every little, you know, thing? Well, I'm going to say to you that this beating up of the self is a form of false pride. Rather, you spend your time beating yourself up for what purpose? What do you get from that? What does it do for you? In We Agnostics, they're describing the problems that alcoholics have, right? It says here, we were having trouble with personal relationships. These are the bedevilments. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. When you feel hopeless, useless, whatever, you know what? You're in you. You are self-absorbed, self-centered. Oh, woe is me, right? And you can't be helped to anyone because you're in you. And that's a twat. That's twap like a whack, because when you're in you, God can't enter, you're no longer other-directed, you're self-directed. It's a form of selfishness turned inward. Oh, woe is me. And it says, was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? These things are more important, and these are the things that Bill Wilson called untreated alcoholism why not choose a different story why are we so wedded to what a piece of crap i am what does that do for me when you get to step six and you say am i entirely ready to give this stuff up you have to ask yourself maybe not because i get something out of it what do i get out of feeling sorry for myself it means i don't have to act I don't have to move my ass. It means I can sit in self-pity and wonder, you know, when the lightning bolt's going to come. It's called, you know, that's why we pray the set-aside prayer. Help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, about you, God, about this program, so that I can have an open mind, a new experience. It's like a psychic change is not just a personality change. It's it's a transformation of old ideas. I'm a piece of crap. I can't do it. No one's going to help me. I'll never succeed. That's old. Forget it. You're in a new world now. This is called the world of the spirit. That's like saying, God, thanks a lot for making me a piece of crap. Thanks a lot for making me such a loser. It doesn't work that way. You, everyone in this room has the potential to maximize their effectiveness through this program. 
I have had a 180. Look at the world. It's no longer me versus them. My perceptions are changing every day and I have a long way to go. I see struggle differently now. I see struggle as opportunity. I see conflict as change trying to happen. There are conflicts in this program. You know, triggers are conflicts. God's saying, are you ready to go a little further? If the grocery store triggers you, get the hell out. <laughs> you know, if you can't bake cookies for Christmas, don't bake them. Why are you attached to things that hurt you? Right? Why are we attached to things that make us miserable? What do we get from that? Well, one is an excuse to eat. Excuse to be grumpy to our children and our spouses and our friends. It gives us all kinds of excuses. We have this disease and it's not our fault, but we're responsible. And to what extent do I wanna be responsible for this disease that I have? And how can I turn lemons into lemonade? The program lets me do that. Is it hard? Sometimes, yes. But I can do it an hour at a time. I can do it a meal at a time. I don't have to think of the rest of my life, just today. Can I be abstinent today? Sure, I can. Can I choose not to ride in the car with arguing parents? Sure, I can. It'll be okay. You know, this is why I'm, I'm keeping this open discussion because this is really the harder matter. Now we're in the trenches, folks. And we're talking about life is like having this disease and trying to navigate this stuff with some sanity. Thank you, Joylene. I, I hope that was helpful. How about Denise in New Jersey? But you're muted. Mute. There you go. Okay, great. All right. Hello, Deb. Hello. Um, so I, it just occurred to me and it's a burning, it's burning me in the middle. I would like to know and like to speak, uh, let's talk about the trigger of the sponsor-sponsee relationship. Perfect. What do you, tell me what the trigger is. Um, is it control and people pleasing for, you know, to do everything your sponsor says, or is it really what the program is saying? Is, you know, those are the kind of things that trip me up with my sponsor. I've been in the program 30 years, had a lot of different sponsors. And, you know, I just, there are things that, and, and with the current sponsor, I'm not sure. Am I doing the, am I, am I complying or am I surrendering? And that part, is how, what do I need to look at in that? I know okay. I need to look at my part. Do I need to 10 step it? What do I need to do let's, on a regular let's basis? Back up. Let's back up a second. When you went, began, oh, first of all, when you began with this sponsor, did she explain to you what her expectations were? Not completely. Okay. So were you willing to go to any lengths? Yes. And so at what point did she rub you the wrong way? 
when when I said that I I was invited to a um, a party not a party I was invited to go out for dinner I was um, I I texted her first before I made the decision her text back was that I was um, you know it was a free will I had free will it's my my program and my response you know and whatever so. I made the acceptance of going out. Now I've been in, in working with her for 30, almost, yeah, 30 days today. And, um, but I've had one slip each week. So on that side of it, I've had not been able to really count days or to know that I'm 30 days abstinent. That's not really true. But I've really, really changed my life to the point where I'm cooking everything all the time. I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm doing all my food prep and stuff. So I know that part of my trigger was that I felt I deserved to have someone make my hamburger that night. I took my scale with me. I took my own salad because I needed to, I wanted to have the right kind of oil. Um, and what was your sponsor's problem with you eating out? That she she wanted me to wait to be with her the first time I eat out, but we had never discussed that. So, okay. so that's that's a matter of style. I don't I might approach it differently, but what you need to do is talk to her about your experience with that and what was difficult for you and use it as a teaching moment for her and for you. Cause she's not responsible for your recovery. You are right. She's not in the results business. I wouldn't tell my sponsee not to go. I wouldn't say I have to go with you first. I said, you're on your own. This is your recovery. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can stay abstinent when you're out, great. You're even willing to take your scale. I'm not like the, uh, the food police here. Mm -hmm. If you're doing what I ask you to do and you're willing to go to any lengths, it's on you, baby. You know what I mean? So talk to her about it and see if you can get some peace around it. Maybe she just, you know, she needs to understand you a little bit better, but she's trying to have your best interests at heart. Right. And she wants you to maintain your abstinence. So I would say it's worth a conversation, but people do leave sponsors because they feel put upon. They don't feel appreciated or recognized, or they feel the rules are too strict, or they don't like a personality. Uh, it, it's a million reasons people leave and then they just go to somebody else. It's just right. not the right fit. That happens. And sometimes it's, it's the sponsee who's using an excuse not to take responsibility and be accountable. It's a kind of a two-way street, you right. know? I, I like to empower my people to work their program and not depend on me. I, I guide them, but they're out there in the world. They got to do what they got to do. I did realize how much that was playing in my head for so many, you know, so I ended up doing writing out a 10 step. And when I saw my part in it, I realized I hadn't asked either. I hadn't oh. called her back. 
I hadn't called her, I texted her. So I should have called probably, you know, my part of it was I could have called and asked the question rather than just doing a text, even though I, right. I was at work. So, um, you know, and that's the other thing is, is a time crunch, you know, when you have that time crunch of, um, you know, uh, being at work and, and being in the, in the moment so much, you know, in the moment and not really getting that time to take that pause, pray and ponder, you know, just being, <laughs> you know, being, uh, I'm in, I work in the people business. I'm with people all day long. And I, you know, sometimes there's just not enough time. There's plenty of places for me to do service and to get out of myself. And I try to do that as much as possible, but there are different, different other triggers. So work is another trigger. And I just wanted to bring that up. Okay. There's triggers everywhere. So yeah. you just slow it down. Like you said, pause when agitated, you did a 10 step. That's great. You probably had a resentment in her. You try to identify what it is and see what your part is in it, what, you know, the realization of what, what this is really about. Communication, it sounds like you need to communicate more with her. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Nancy B. You're muted, Nancy. She had to unmute me. Uh, my name is Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater. And as I said, I've been abstaining. And please be careful and watch when you get sponsors and you hear people sharing. Big difference from being in the program from 45 years and being abstinent for 45 years. And the difference is just the experience walking through your triggers and walking through these things, abstinence. You know, and at this point, I, one thing I want to stress, and I hope you'll talk about it a little, for me, it's, you know, I've been abstinent longer than I've been not abstinent. And they told me when I came in, I was 33. And they said, when you're 66, that will get easier. This is slow variety. I don't get abstinent and six months later, think I'm going to go on a cruise and do well. I just don't. And one thing that you haven't shared, Deb, and I was hoping you would, I had to give up so many things. I had to sacrifice, I thought. But what I was getting, I'm trading heart disease and rotting my teeth and misery and living with men who aren't kind to me and living, you know, and, and having some peace and some calm and quiet for what, you know, for giving up some chocolate and a few bagels, you know, I mean, what I'm getting here, and this is what's so difficult for old timers to get, you know, and I believe that this is a gift. I believe some people are just chosen. And I believe that pain is the gain. And the more you suffer, the closer you get to surrender. And um, we're just the kind of people that, you know, you, when you abstain, it's like you, I use my arms and legs, like I, like I use food like arms and legs to navigate through the world. And when you took around, away my hostesses, ding-dongs and twinkies, you took away my arms and legs. Well, a person that loses a leg doesn't get a prosthesis and walk out into the sunshine. It takes a year or two to heal that wound and then to learn how to do all that rehab. So I had was told I wasn't allowed to go near my family for a couple of years. And I had to quit my job after two years because I was such a big shot. And I had to work nine to five and be downsized and begin to grow up. The spiritual experience is growing up. I wanted great whistles and bells to ring when I did the right thing. 
Well, you're supposed to go to work and pay your bills. You're supposed to do things that I didn't do. And I learned through the process of making my bed every day and getting on my knees. And, and But in oh, this program, there's an answer for everything. If you can find the people ahead of you who have done this before. And, and I think that's a problem now. We're loaded with newcomers who are sharing things that aren't so positive. I just want to hear, this is my problem. How do I fix it? So would you talk a little bit about surrender? I don't know about you, but I had to get divorced. I mean, there's, I had to eventually move from the house where all the memories is. When my mother got so bad, I literally turned her over to the state of law, to the state of California and got a conservatorship because I didn't, I wanted to be her daughter, not her keeper. And I kept my job that way. And I got self-supporting by my own contribution. I too. Truly, I wanted her money, you know, and I had to change all my thinking. And it took a long time. So for me, you know, I chose to go places. When in doubt, leave it out. And you want to eat where you're safe for a while to retrain those bad habits. And it's healthy for me. And when I started to eat what's healthy, the people around me got healthier. The actions I took got healthier. Abstinence is the key to everything. So why wouldn't I want to do it? And, and that's the only attitude that works here. So would you share a little about things you may have had to give up or change? To sure. now, hey, thank you for sharing, Nancy. Uh, Deb, I'm just going to interrupt now and we're going to take a break and we're going to stop the recording and start it again. So we're going to take a five um, minute break and you have a chance if you haven't. Okay, Deb, are you going to, I have something to read before the more questions, but are you going to um, just basically going to be going on with questions now? Questions and comments. Yeah, because the triggers are pretty self-evident. I think I went through all the key points. I think now we're really talking about the triggers themselves and how to address them. What are the action plans a person can take? And right before the break, someone brought up really the difference between compliance and surrender, which I want to address. But Madonna has a her hand up. Can we take her question? Yeah, I'm just going to read this one thing. I think maybe we've addressed this, but um, if you would like to ask a question, so now we'll be going more into the question period, please raise your hand so that we can um, call on you and uh, unmute you. Um, so. For those of you who are newer to Zoom, um, there are two ways to raise your hand, depending on what version of Zoom you have, older versions of Zoom. At the bottom of your screen is the participants tab. Click on this tab and it will open up a list of names. At the bottom of this list, you will see the raise your hand button and updated versions of Zoom. At the bottom of your screen is the reactions tab. Click on this tab and you will see the raise hand button on the bottom of the window. A reminder that this meeting is being auditorily recorded. That is the sound, not our pictures. Um, we will call on you using the name you have given. So if you are uncomfortable with your name being on the recording, please change your name to protect your anonymity um, on your screen. By sharing or asking a question, you consent to being recorded and having the recorded recording posted on the OA Rise website. Thank you. 
Thank you, um, Anne. Uh, Madonna, you had uh, your hand raised. Thank you. Ah, just got moved around there. Um, this is really, really fabulous. Um, I, I knew coming into this, I was terminally unique. So I had a nice long list of the reasons that I would tell myself for why I couldn't do certain things. Um, I am, I have uh, 20 years in another program and it wasn't until I started considering OA that I realized that um, that was my original, food was my original addiction. And I know lots of people who, it's like this under, this under disease underneath it all. Um, so uh, I was overweight at the, by the age of 12. I mean, like, like not a lot but enough to realize that I had a struggle with food, but I didn't realize all my adult life that um, it was a, I was calling it a struggle with weight, not with food. And doing that, this is so hard for me because I'm one of those people that just likes to get all her language just tickety-boo. And I know that I, I have to just drop from head to heart here. So I realize now as we're, I'm listening to all this, that entering this program four and a half years ago was about weight. Even though I'm a volume eater, I eat for comfort or my diet plan as an adult was either fall in love or break up because either way I wasn't eating. Addiction to drama. I still realize in four and a half years of doing this program, if I, I've, I've lost one pound. I have huge stretches of abstinence. I'm in one now. I see the results of the, um, the peace and serenity that comes with it. And I've learned that whatever I put before my emotional sobriety and my abstinence, I will lose anyway. So I want my abstinence first. My, my question is, um, I think this, this need to lose that 20 pounds is what uh, every, every four or five months, if I haven't lost it, I slip. I just wonder if you could address that, like how much is weight hiding, you know, like getting the perfect weight should not, I know my sponsor says your weight is not any of your business. And yet I still notice that I'm doing that. You have a food plan. Yes. Okay, so why aren't you following it? What happens when, what happens that makes you go off your plan? What's the trigger? Uh, frustration that I'm still the same weight I am. Okay, so maybe you need to talk to a nutritionist and look at your food plan because maybe it's, there's too much food in it based on your age and your activity level. It's not rocket science. It could be your food plan. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I, hear, when I heard you say you can have enough, I think, I, think, uh, I think there must still be some comfort trigger inside the volume. Well, probably, uh, probably because if, 
if I mention the idea of changing your food plan and maybe uh, taking a few things out, if that feels scary, that means you're not completely surrendered yet. Now, what are, before I get to Tony and Kim, before the break, uh, Nancy had asked me about the you know, compliance and surrender. This is a very important issue that uh, came up really the first time with a psychiatrist named Harry Tebow, who uh, was in contact with Bill Wilson. And when I have a sponsee who says she's taken three big book studies, each lasting a year, and can't maintain abstinence, that means she was there and she complied. Compliance is obeying what other people tell me to do, right? But deep down, I don't really wanna do it, but I'm being a good girl, so I comply. And I call in my food and I go to meetings, but I either lie while I'm complying because I really don't wanna do it, or my compliance is temporary. Eventually the disease will win out and I'll go back to the food. Surrender is very different. Surrender is giving up control. It's giving up power. When you take step one and you say, whoa, I am powerless over food. And I'm powerless over certain ingredients because I have an allergy. I'm powerless over the obsession of the mind that can't tell the truth from false. And my life is unmanageable, right? Am I willing to surrender, give up the power, the control, whatever it is that's guiding me and allow the solution to work for me? Work the steps bring in a power greater than me to restore me. It's surrendering to something other than me and what I want. I say, I give up. And when they talk about acting as if it means trust the process, just say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work it, work it, work it, commit to prayer. And there's a sense of personal helplessness, I think, that generates surrender, a true personal helplessness. That's a beautiful thing, because the truth is, we are helpless in a certain way when it comes to our relationship to food. We need help. That's what step one tells me. I can't do this. I've got a disease. A diabetic doesn't say, oh, well, I can control my blood sugar today. No problem. That's insane. A person who's under a certain protocol for treatment of liver disease or cancer say, I don't need to take my meds today. I think I got this covered. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. Do you have it covered? Are you just complying to pretend like you're getting through and you'll be fine? No, it's, it's insane. So that's why we need the power to surrender. It's, I would say it's humility at work, saying, I really, I really give up. And that's when people say, do I have to call my food in every day? Do I have to weigh and measure? No, no, you don't have to do a damn thing. But for me, calling my food in is an act of humility. I'm saying I'm powerless. 
I'm going to give this to you, God. I'm going to give it to my sponsor. I'm going to hold myself accountable because I know the deal. If I use just these and not my scale, not good. If I eat outside of my plan, I'm saying, eh, I'm okay today. It won't matter. She won't know. What do I care? That's my disease. Okay, so... So it's, we have the greatest chance of success when we surrender from that feeling of helplessness because there is help. That is the solution. There is help out there for us if we let it happen, okay? So that was a great question. Thank you very much for that, Madonna. Tony. Tony, you need to unmute. I'm gonna I'm gonna unmute you. Still can't hear you, Tony. Can the one of the co-hosts unmute her? Oh, I there you go. Now we lost you again. There Am you I go. Good. Oh, thank you. Sorry for that. I'm not technological. I joined late, so I don't know if you have talked about using your ego to help your program. I haven't talked about that. Would you like me to? Yes. Okay. The ego can be very useful. Certain fears are healthy. If I'm afraid of breaking my abstinence, that's a healthy fear. Where ego gets in trouble is when it gets all negative on us and tells us lies about our disease and what we can and can't do. But there's parts of ego that are very helpful, that warn us and guide us in certain ways. Ego has a great biological function, but sometimes it goes out of control and it goes out of control when you're a compulsive eater or have a disordered relationship with food. Everything gets twisted up. The, the addict, their brain is wired differently. That's why we can't do what other people do. And we think differently. And that's why we have the bedevilments. And that's why we are uh, selfish, self-seeking, frightened, inconsiderate, dishonest, resentful. That's, that's ego on steroids. We don't want that. We want God to replace those thoughts. So I hope that's helpful. I'm, I'm not a, I don't know a lot about psychology and ego and stuff. I only know that there's parts of ego that are very protective of us. And there's others that are very dangerous and, and uh, destructive. Uh, Kim. Add what's worked for me. Oh, yes. I have found that if I can remember once saying, um, when I had problem with night eating and I wouldn't make a phone call. And I said, I really should call up and say permission to overeat, please. And I said, I'm never gonna say that. And then I said, well, if you're thinking it, you know, either be ruthlessly honest with what you really feel like doing or just um, don't do it. And you know, I found it easier to just not take the self-destructive action 
when I framed it in such a way that it was really a stupid choice. Yeah. And I was very grateful. Our disease does that. It twists things to our convenience. So I'm grateful for the amount of abstinence I have. And I think the thing that got it to me is that I'm deserving of recovery. And that is one of my major affirmations that no matter what goes wrong or how I'm triggered, I still deserve recovery. And I pray to my higher power to give me the the willingness to do the actions I have to do. So I've really enjoyed listening to this conversation. Thank you very much for having it. Thank you, Tony. How about Kim B? Uh, Is it okay if I double dip? Um, How about if I take Susan and Patty first and then we'll come back to you? Okay, Susan. Hi, uh, this is Susan, compulsive reader. Deb, there are no coincidences. I listened to you this morning on the virtual convention. And then I thought I was seeing things just now when I popped into the last 45 minutes of this meeting because a friend just sent me the text that I'm driving in my car. And I I loved everything that you said this morning about sponsorship because I've been having a little difficulty with one or two of my sponsees and like here you are again I just I just wanted to say uh I think I meant to contact you (laughs) and uh I'm so grateful to even hear you you just it just comes out so easy when you speak about it it comes out eloquently and it, it makes perfect sense. And when I am sometimes trying to explain things, uh, you know, I know that it doesn't make that that great of perfect sense. But I mean, I've been in this program for 31 years. You'd think I would have it down. Well, thank you, Susan. Uh, it was just sort of crazy coincidence that I had two workshops in one day. It was just, I said yes, and I didn't realize this was on the same day or vice versa. And so here I am. <laughs> so it's a very good day, day for me in my recovery. Uh, thank you so much, Susan. How about Patty? There you are. I have your email. I'm going to send you an email. And uh, then you can. Oh, okay. hi. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, the, the host had me muted. Um, hi, Deb. Just wanted to. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. My name is Patty and I'm a compulsive overeater and I live in just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And I just want to thank you for your service, Deb. This has been super, super helpful. Just so many things that I never really took took into consideration. Um, I have kind of a little bit of a question in the end, but um, I just got to OA a a year ago. Um, I've been struggling with food addiction, you know, for many, many years. And I was in, you know, several other programs, but they weren't big book focused or step focused. And I never, I got abstinent, you know, I had long-term abstinence, you know, a couple of years, but it was really all about a diet. It was all about being thin. It was all about the food plan. And um, I just never recovered. I never recovered from that seemingly hopeless 
condition. And I never truly understood what my problem was. You know, I really didn't. I just thought I need to get thin and this is working. And that was that. So anyway, a year ago, I came into OA and I've just been so blown away by this program and I just absolutely love it. But, the, the, you know, I haven't been able to get abstinent. I've been, I've had stretches of abstinence. I've probably had like 25 sponsors. Um, combination, like I'll take off or, you know, thank you so much, but then I'm gone because I just can't put the food down. And a couple things that I've really learned from, I've had some amazing sponsors and it all boiled down to, are you willing to go to any length? And then of course I was like, oh yeah, of course I am. And then it was like, all right, well, let's write a list of what that would look like for you to go to any length. And so usually it's, you know, phone calls or, you know, all these different things. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to do all these things before I pick up that first bite. And then inevitably I wouldn't do any of those things because once the obsession of the mind kicked in, I was going to eat and nothing was going to stop me. Um, so here I am. I just got through the steps. Uh, I had someone take me through quickly, like in 30 days. And I got to step nine, you know, and, and it was going well. There are some problems, emotional problems for me along the way with it. And I, sometimes I think it might've gone a little too fast for me. You know, I couldn't catch up to all of it. It just happened so fast. And then I ended up picking up the food and, um, you know, it was so discouraging and so upsetting that like, oh my God, like I picked up the food again. I just couldn't believe it. And so we, you know, we parted ways, this last sponsor who I absolutely adored. And then I got this new sponsor and I've picked up the food like every day. And so today it was just kind of like the same old thing. Oh, thank you so much for your help. And, you know, like I have to take off, you know, because I just, and so my question is, like, it's kind of like, am I will, like, I keep asking myself this question, like, am I really willing? Like, do I really want it? You know, am I willing to put down the food? Am I willing to go to any lengths not to pick up that food? And so I think my disease mind is just saying, no, you're not willing, you know, why don't we take off from this program? Like, this isn't going to work for you. Like you said, all the lies that I tell myself, like, I can't do it. You know, I don't do it. Uh, and I'll never be able to do it. And then my wise mind or my, my, you know, the part of me that really does want to recover, like you said, you know, I can just see myself, like God gives me like this glimmer. It's really weird of what it looks like on the other side of this. Like I can, I can see it. Like I can see myself as like all the things that I see in you people, you, the people that are recovered that I witness every day, but, and then hearing all these things about myself and not being able to stay abstinent, it's just, all right, I'm a rotten person. And on top of it all, I can't put the food down. And so again, it's like getting into that self-pity and all that shame. And, you know, like you called it reverse pride or what have you, or, you know, and it's, you know, and then that's bad. It's just like everywhere I turn, it's like bad news. And I'm the common denominator in the whole picture. And so I was just wondering, here I am. I just, I just lost another sponsor. And I'm kind of thinking like, wow, where, like, where do I go from here? Like, what's a recommendation? Do I just jump back in? You know, what would you recommend for somebody in my particular situation to do at this point? Have um, you completed all your amends? I never finished my amends. No, I never finished my amends. That's one thing critical. And to have a sponsor guide you on how to make a proper amends. Have mm -hmm. you done a complete and thorough and deep fourth step? Yes, I feel like it was a thorough, complete fourth step. It was a very successful um, giving giving away the fourth step, the fifth step. 
this is what happened. I talked to another fellow and she said, I see a lot of people taking people through the steps in 30 days. Like I see, I'm seeing that. That's like a big thing right now. And she said, you know, it's for a lot of people, it's really not the best approach because you're not ready for what's coming. And that's kind of what happened when you work the steps. I was completely abstinent. Yeah, it was about 35 days that I was abstinent. So so you haven't finished your amends, which is really, Mm -hmm. really important. There could Mm -hmm. be something there, some unfinished business, either consciously or unconsciously that's eating at you. Do you do a daily 10 step? Do you call people? I never really fully kind of got the whole 10th. Well, first of all, I have no sponsor right now, but I never got the 10th step. Like I just couldn't comprehend it all it went so fast in the end and okay. I never really got the whole 10th step thing so no I'm not in the habit of doing 10 steps okay so that's where the ego the ego rebuilds even though we go through the first nine steps we're still mm-hmm. we still have to continue to treat our disease and that's 10 11 and 12 so without if you continue to pick up you'll never get the chance to sponsor but you can do service things you have to get out of your head and you know the most common question people have in OA is, how do I put the food down? Mm-hmm. Right? And you put it down. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, your disease saying, but, 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 but I want it, I want it, I want it. Eh, eh, eh. Like a six-year-old stomping its feet. Meet the six-year-old. Go in a room quietly and meet the six-year-old and ask it what it wants. What does it really want? It doesn't want food, it wants something else, but that's the only way it's gotten ease and comfort is from the food. So you break the habit by slowing down the thought process and sitting with it, welcoming it. It's like, it's like looking at a disease and say, what do I need to heal this moment? I need a power to sit with me and my little girl and ask her what she's going crazy over. Is it a fight I had? Is it a resentment I have? Am I afraid of something? Did something happen at work with my family? There's some things that are eating at us that have to be addressed. And that the food is a way to run away, run away. We're looking for comfort. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what needs to be comforted? Because the food is short-term. You know, when you pick up the food, you get a short-term gain, you get a hit, long-term pain. When you put the food down, you have short-term pain, long-term gain. So you have to be willing to sit through the pain, the discomfort of it. But use that discomfort as a window into what's bothering you. Talk to your sponsor saying, I want to pick up. I want to pick up what's going on. What's missing here? It's like it's like a stone in your shoe. Right. Ah, Take your shoe off, take the stone out. What's the stone? And you got to pray and you say, God, go out, go out and help somebody. Talk to your neighbor, buy somebody a cup of coffee. I don't know what else to say, but this is the moment of truth. And each time you do that, you build your spiritual muscles, right? Every time you pick up, you strengthen your disease. So when you pick up that many times, as I did, getting back on gets very difficult. It means you're not doing enough, Patty. You say, I'm not doing enough. 
No, you got to do more. And only you and your sponsor know what that is. And it may be you've got to do step the steps again with your hair on fire. Now you said you're absent. Finish those amends. And have a sponsor help you write out your cards the way you're supposed to do an amends and really yeah we didn't do that that was that was that was one of the reasons why I picked up too is because I had a couple of men of amends and I had no idea what I was really getting myself into and they just didn't go well it just was not it was just Uh, so awkward and so it just didn't go the way I thought it was going to go it was luckily you have more to do let's do them right next time right so you need to find a sponsor who knows how to do that. Right. Right. I see Nancy's shaking her head, but it's like, if I could, if I could give you a magic answer, how to put the food down, it's everything. It's desire. It's helplessness. It's desperation. It's it's anxiety. It's like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Food is becoming my master and I hate it. You know, everybody's bottom is different. So, you know, feel free to call me or thank you. Talk more. Sure. I appreciate that. Thank you for the, thank you for answering that. Appreciate You're welcome. it. Okay, Gail from Winnipeg. I'm Gail. I'm a compulsive overeater and a sneaky eater. I've just added that to my description just recently of who I am. It's very cold out here. It's minus 40 below here. Oh my God. But being in OA meetings all day has kept me warm inside. Um, I started branching out from Winnipeg meetings because I didn't want to become complacent. I joined OA 37 years ago, went from obese to anorexic. I was only 25 at the time. And people, well, why are you still doing that thing? But that, those meetings unfortunately closed down where I lived. Way before technology at all. Fast forward 35 years where I've gained and lost and gained and lost and gained and lost and tried everything in the books. And during COVID, I found out from a very dear friend that OA was on Zoom. And I already knew that I needed to release the weight. The serenity prayer's been in my life. I even had every OA book I ever bought from 35 years ago. It followed me wherever I went. My husband knew nothing about the program, but he always said, well, what's that stuff bag you've got? I said, that was my lifesaver. And I knew I needed a way again. I'm 15 months abstinent in program. I've done my steps three times over, but now it's a complacency. It's, I don't want to lose that abstinent. I've gone to all lengths and what keeps me going is my non-scale victories. And that's what I want to share today. That's what brought me back to OA was 
I do have a lot of medical issues with joints. And since releasing, I didn't lose it. I released those extra pounds. It gave me back my life. I couldn't walk one stair before I came into this program 15 months ago. And now I can walk four flights of stairs. It gave, it's a non-scale victories that keep me going. And why don't want to lose it? But now people are saying, but you could just have a little bit of this, but you could just, no, I can't because that's my disease. And that's what I tell myself every single day that there's no other way except for OA. And it's not hitting the rock bottom. It's your foundation, because from a bottom you can't rise up, but from foundation you have nowhere else. You have to rise up to get that foundation. Deb, you gave me so much hope that I wanna be here 15 years from now, not 15 months. All right. That I'll never, I will never leave till I'm in the box. I've shared this so many times already. And the reason that I've reached out to other meetings is because I was in COVID isolation. And there were no morning meetings. And there was no meeting on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve when I had COVID. And I just started scanning all over the place and looking for meetings all over the world. And that has been my saving grace. Absolutely. It's the non-scale victories that take care of the scale and also take care of our hearts and minds mm -hmm. that make life far more wonderful than they were. And so, just a little tip. If you want to go into the food, grab the water. Okay. Thank you, Gail. You know, a very well-known speaker in our way is from Winnipeg, Lori Cherniak. I know him very well. Great. Very, very well. I was in a meeting with him this morning, actually. Great. Yeah, yeah. I know I knew him way back when he started in a way when, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. thank you for your share. Uh, Kim, we're going to get back to you now, girl. Okay. You know, I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay, but I think I'm okay. Thank you. Okay, great. So we have about 20 minutes left and I love you guys. And I, I, I appreciate you taking your Sunday afternoon to dive into this uh, disease issues. Um, you know, it's something we all live with every day. And the question is, how are we going to live with it and live with it successfully? And we've got this program that allows us to do that if we're willing to do the footwork. You know, it's not for everybody who wants it or needs it. It's for people who do it. And there's work involved. Take responsibility for this disease means work and discipline, just like I think Nancy was saying. So be aware of your triggers, plan for them. Don't get caught off guard. And, and the biggest plan of all is chances are we will get triggered. What do I do when my disease wants me back? 
What do I do? How committed am I to my recovery? And there's lots of things we talked about today you can do in those moments. Um, does anybody have any other questions? Because if you feel done, we can certainly uh, close out the session. All right, then. Um, oh, Nancy has something she wants to say. Nancy, did you want to say something? You're muted. I'm just going to share a few things that I learned from our founder, from Roseanne. You might hear about him again tonight. But here's what she did. When, when, when we became sponsors of her or Gene Smith, who was her spiritual guide. And by the way, um, I don't know too many old timers that have over 40 years who aren't just crazed, you know, with the trustees about this going through the steps in 30 days. At about six months, I didn't have enough sanity to sit still yet let alone to work the steps. And in about, I think, seven years and 11 years, at first it was very surface. And I started to get to some of those layers and some of that. But first I had to come in and feel comfortable and safe and get a posse of friends and get some trust with my sponsor. So, you know, in the beginning, that first step took me a long time to write all the pitiful, demoralizing things. I suggest you get the OA workbook and you work it with the OA 12 and 12. And that can take some of you a long time. And then once a week you read to somebody, but it's not doing a fifth step. It's how, you, how well you do the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth step. And that is a process of getting rid, like if I'm angry at my brother because he was blind and got all the attention and I was fat, I have to be told what I get on my knees and ask God, I don't give up any character defect. I replace it with a wonderful, wonderful asset. And so if I'm going to give up anger, I'm going to ask God to give me compassion or pride or understanding that he's a child of God and it has nothing to do with him. And all those years have a chance to melt away eventually of all that dissension between us. So I just want, that's the process. But, but what I was given was this butterfly and I have a whole chain of them. Right now, when Roseanne passed away, she replaced it with something I never take off, which is the serenity prayer around my neck. So every day when I'm in trouble, no matter where I am, you know, I always have the answer because I can learn to pause and the pause is so big, but I wore this and um, every day I wore it inside my clothes and every time I wanted to do something on my own without permission, I had to remember that I wasn't a butterfly yet. I was still a caterpillar and I couldn't fly. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't fly. And you know what? I've been standing 45 years and nobody's told me to fly on my own. And they took me down to the ocean, which is a wonderful thing. Or go to a mountain. You'll find something where you are. And put in your mind that place and say, can I make that, that uh, mountain tumble? Can I stop the waves? Physically throwing rocks at it. And one day, if I can go down and stop the waves, then I don't have to keep doing these things every day. And these things are separating my program, which is what I do every day. The tools aren't my program. Going to meetings is not my program. My program is every morning when I say the first three steps, when I read upon awakening, when I call for it's the actions that I take every day. And the last thing I'll leave you with is my stick. And those of you that hear me speak all the time know 
When I get up in the morning, often if I've got something on my mind, I have to bat it away. I have to constantly, in my mind, be telling this disease. I'm abstaining now. I have to be louder than the disease. So if that disease speaks up and my head says, stop at the store and look, or, or stop and smell the food in there, I know sometimes I have to leave. I always have the choice to leave. And that's, I think, what abstinence gives you is choices that I didn't have before because I was just locked to this thing. But a bat is a wonderful thing, even if you have to carry it around with you for a while. And after a while, it all subsides. But I, I never, never don't have it on me. And the last thing is this. I don't leave the house without a cooler. I don't leave the house without... I'm on a salt-free thing because of medicine. So I always have my salt-free streamings and my salt-free tuna and, and, and the things on my particular abstinence. And so everywhere I go, there's never any excuses. And even at World Service Convention, I did that because believe it or not, at some of our OA functions, it's amazing how people eat. So I prepare ahead of time. So those are just some of the ideas is wear something that you can physically touch. Keep one of the little small books in your purse. Never be, so we're always there. We're always with you. And numbers, oh my God. Uh, eventually, if you carry them, something will happen big enough that you'll actually pick up the phone and call. But you gotta have the numbers with you. So that's just some of my suggestions. Thank you, Nancy. I love working with you guys today. You were terrific. I learned a lot today. I hope you did too. You got some new ideas, some new insights. So, and thank you so much, Deb. Really appreciate it. I can see a lot of the positive comments, you know, in the chat and uh, that have been sent to me. So I um, know that people appreciated your experience, strength, and hope. So thank you very much. It was um, wonderful having you with us and um, giving your service. Uh, today to the OA program. We greatly appreciate it. Together we get better. A reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember to honor our commitment to each other's anonymity. Take the stories but leave the names behind. OA Rise's goal is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. The second goal is to support the World Service Office. We will post, I believe that's been posted already, the seventh tradition, um, not yet. Uh, here we go, yes it is. Um, one more time. Sorry. Um, in the chat, please give uh, what you're able so that we may continue to keep OA Rise going. Lastly, OA Rise continues to look for members who are willing to give service to the meeting. We are always looking for speakers or perhaps speaker suggestions, as well as members who would be interested in joining our wonderful committee and those who could volunteer once a month to help run this Zoom meeting. And I thank everyone that participated and helped out today. Janice, Audrey, Theodora, Connie, uh, great, 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 great help. I really appreciate it. And um, if you're willing to be of service, please send a message to one of the co-hosts. Thank you everyone for being with us today. After we close the meeting, we will open up the chat for a short period of time. 
and you can unmute yourself if you'd like to connect with others. Please join us for another wonderful share of experience, strength and hope at our next speaker meeting, which will be on March the 6th, uh, where our topic will be the culmination, the call and the challenge, the three C's of step 12. We hope to see you all there. Um, and after a moment of silence, we will close with, um, Deb has asked that the third step prayer be uh, said as our closing prayer today. I will speak it out loud and I invite those of you who wish to join me silently. And I believe that someone posts that in the chat. And not yet. Um, let me just see if I can do that. There. Got it. Okay. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so and thank you, everyone. Keep coming back. So we'll have a moment of silence now and say the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Deb. Good meeting. Is there any way to unmute everybody all at once? I'm not sure if there is or how that works, just in case anybody wanted to say anything. At the bottom, you can uh, unmute all, I think. I just clicked on ask all to unmute. Oh, okay. Thank you all for your service. Wonderful day. Thank you, Thanks, Deb. You're Deb. fantastic. Thanks, Thank everybody, you. for being in service. Thanks, Deb, yeah. so much. Awesome. Thanks, Deb. Amazing uh, share and knowledge and hope. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Deb. Can I take your tray? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I printed off the uh, triggers that you had on the, on the uh, thing, and that's really helpful. Thank you so much. Oh, I have the... the I have this, I don't know, let's see if you can, no, let me change my view. Uh, what will we be looking for? I have, I don't know if you can see. Uh, yes. Oh, that's cool. Oh, it's a heart. Yes, but inside, I don't know if you can see that little circle. Yes. Yeah. But in the back, if you look through there, it says the serenity prayer. Wow. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I carry this with me and I have this bracelet and it goes all the way around and it says the serenity prayer all the way in the round. I have wow. that bracelet too. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Very nice. Thanks again.
Thank you so much, Deb. That was wonderful. wonderful. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. Thank Thanks, you. Anne. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Deb. That was really great. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, guys. I'm going to take off and um, have a great rest of the weekend. Thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Just did two, twice service today. So it's lovely. No. Yeah. Thanks, Ian, for hosting the meeting, and uh, thanks, everybody, for your help. Yeah, thank you, Ann. Great thank job. You so much, Ann. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Is Theodora still on? Yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm Greek also, Theodora. I'm Rena. Oh, you are? Oh, very cool. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what it's like to go to um, family, and they feel offended when you don't eat their food. Oh, my God. I can't even tell you. <laughs> no. And then I end up feeling guilty, like even when I don't tell them thank you very much, but you know I've had enough or something, right? Then I feel guilty because then they get all insulted and stuff. They get, they get, yeah, they feel rejected. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, there's great cooks. They're awesome. And you're damned if you do, and damned if you don't. Right, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So hard, like it's so hard because I'm going there in June. I was ask you when you were oh going. sorry Theodora can you stop the recording please oh yeah of course sorry <laughs> ah.